0: No, it really is a joy to be here. It's been so long. There's so many of you guys that I don't know, and I am so sorry that it's taken me so long to get back up here. It is a joy to hear about what God's been doing up here in Thousand Oaks. And uh, man, it's seriously a major privilege to be a part of a family of churches like this. Uh, You guys are blessed to be led by an incredible elder team here. Um, And I just want to thank you guys. You may not know this, but... Anthem Camarillo is about seven years old and for about four and a half, five years of it, there we would not have survived without the support of Thousand Oaks. Like it would just wouldn't like financially. We were dependent upon you guys by for about like sixty grand a year for about five years. And by God's grace, you guys didn't give up on us. You guys continue to believe in us. And now today Uh, Our church is 100% self-sustained, has our own elder team, and continue to dream about how God is going to use us to impact the city of Camarillo. So thank you guys for your generosity towards us. And if you are new, you need to know you are a part of a church that loves to send. We love to send money. We love to send people. And so uh, we believe that everybody, you are here until you're sent there. And so uh, we are so glad that you're here, a part of this church community. Continue to press in. And press on towards Christ. Last week you guys uh, got to hear from Terry. How amazing is Terry? You guys like Terry? Uh, I think so. If you don't, uh, that's okay. You're entitled to your opinion. Um, uh, No. Uh, It was great. Last week he came and talked on a really easy topic about husbands submitting to wives. Or excuse me, wives submitting to husbands. Some of you may want it that way. And husbands to love your wife as Christ loved the church and to not be harsh with them. Uh, He did a phenomenal job. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, you need to go back and listen to it. It's foundational, and it's actually important for the one that we're walking through today. As Paul is identifying these three subjects in Colossians 3, these three case studies, husbands and wives, parents and children, or children and parents, and then slaves or servants and masters. And as he's doing this, he's really taking the household unit. This is the common Uh, This is what the common household would look like in the first century is these three types of relationships. And if you've been with us in Colossians, you've known that one thing that Paul is doing over and over and over again is is he is talking about the lordship of Jesus, the centrality of Christ, the superiority of Christ in all things. Paul in the first few chapters of Colossians makes it impossible for us to not see that Jesus Christ is Lord that it's through him and by him that all things are held together and there wasn't anything that was made that wasn't made through him. That Jesus is the center and that now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul goes through when he talks about who God is chiefly in the person of Jesus and then he goes on to talk about what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. He goes on to talk about how we were once dead in our trespasses and sins but we were made alive. That our record of debt, our, our sins in our debt that was held against us, it has been wiped clean through the work of Jesus on the cross. Because of what Jesus accomplished, we now have a new identity. We are now hid with Christ on high. We have been raised to the newness of life. We belong to him And we are his sons and his daughters. This all is paramount. It must be understood. This is how Paul operates. Who is God? What has he done in Jesus? Who now am I? And now we get to the question of who, how now do I get to live? The first section above, talking about relationships together before we get into the husbands and wives, gives us how we're to engage with one another, to consider one another better than ourselves. To bear with one another. To forgive as we've been forgiven. To sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Paul's laying down this groundwork of how we're called to live. And then he gets to this section that we're in. And there's this transition verse in 317. Then whatever you do in word or deed, do heartily, do unto the Lord Jesus, as as though Jesus Christ is Lord. In everything that you do, let it be clear that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so he moves into this section that we're in today of these three different case studies. Husbands, wives, parents and kids, and master, or servants and masters. And like I said before, this is the household unit. This is the common household unit. These aren't like three massively different things. This is all what would happen in somebody's home and somebody's property. So these are the most fundamental, the most basic, and potentially the most important relationships in your life. And what Paul is doing is he's going to say, "If Jesus truly is Lord, and if He has raised you from the dead, if He's brought you back to life, if He has given you new life, and you claim to be a son or a daughter, these core relationships, they must be affected by that reality. It must be apparent. And these relationships, even above all else, the, these relationships must be affected by the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And So we're going to dive into that today. And as we do, I, I want to I I share, because he's talking about children obeying parents and everything for this, please the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And, and in here, I think we're going to begin to see Uh, some keys, some important facts or uh, details of why we are facing such a crisis in our country, specifically with youth leaving the church. Regularly, I... Um, asked to come and talk about reaching the next generation. I don't think I'm particularly gifted at it by the way. Um, People ask me what to do and I'm like love them uh, and (laughs) listen. Uh, And we get into a little bit more but one of the things that I've been able to see over the years in particular as I've studied and I've watched hundreds and hundreds of people leave the church is that one of the reasons kids, youth, the next generation are leaving the church is because the relationship at home is jacked up because husbands aren't loving their wives like Christ loved the church, and because wives aren't submitting to their husbands. On top of that, they're also leaving because children aren't obeying parents, and husbands or or fathers and mothers are provoking their children and leading them to discouragement. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the story of somebody growing up in the church most of these are my friends. are legitimately my peers. So it's not even the next generation. It's, these are my friends who have left the church. And it's because they would come to church with their mom and dad on Sunday. And they would sit and they would hear an amazing sermon, maybe. And then they would hear these songs being proclaimed of How your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips till Sunday afternoon where there's something else coming off of my lips. Uh, And it's not praise, it's condemnation, it's shame, it's judgment, it's backbiting, it's my way or the highway type of language. The reason so many youth are leaving the church is because they hear mom and dad proclaim with their mouth what they believe, and then they see how they live out their life at home, and there is not alignment. In this next generation, they go like this. They go, I smell that, and it don't smell good, and I don't want anything to do with that. Now, it's not that the house isn't perfect at home. That's not why people are leaving. It's because people are pretending like it's perfect at home. But in the inside, it's rotten. We've got problems within the home. And Paul is establishing here that if we are going to be effective in reaching Thousand Oaks, Conejo Valley, Ventura County and beyond, we must go after the home first. It's imperative. But as we start, I just want to say, you guys, none of us have done this perfectly. My dad loves Jesus like crazy, and guess what? I still got major daddy issues. He loves Jesus and he tried hard and he's trying still as my the grandpa to my kids, and there's still issues, and so we've got to approach this with tons and tons of grace. But we absolutely We cannot pretend like we don't need God's help in this area. And we cannot pretend like we don't need one another's help either. Some of you guys are here today, and uh, you are parents. Some of you are grandparents. Some of you are empty-, empty nesters. Some of you are here today, and you're single, and you wish you had kids. Some of you guys are here, and you're married, and you have your first kid, maybe second, something along those lines. Some of you might be here married, and you want kids like nobody's business, but you can't conceive. And if you're here this morning, I just want you to know the enemy wants to, you to, like, clam up to not listen, and and, and just to, like block everything out, and I just want you to know that one, I am so sorry if that's your space that you're in, that you are welcome here, but no matter where you're at, what stage of life you're at, you have a role to play because what is the church? The church is a family. And what are there a ton of that are down at the U? Kids. And guess what? They don't just need two good parents. They need a community of people who will continue to point them back to Jesus. So all of us have a role to play in this today. All right, let's dive into our text today and keep moving. So here, here we are, Colossians 3, starting in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ." I want to start off by saying in many regards, you probably don't need somebody to like really teach on this too much. This isn't incredibly difficult. Children, obey your parents. This pleases God. It's pretty straightforward. (laughs) Fathers and mothers, don't provoke your children. Lest they be led to, into discouragement. And we'll unpack that. I'm going to need a little bit more unpacking. But there's some of this that's not incredibly difficult for us to navigate through this morning. And we're going to walk through this. But also we're going to try and press into what God is trying to highlight for us. So children, obey your parents and everything. For this pleases the Lord. Last week we saw Paul. He highlighted the women first, right? He gave great value to the women as he spoke their name first. He put them in the prime position as he called and invited wives to voluntarily submit to their husbands. He gave them value in a time and a place where they had none. He's doing the same thing with children here. He's addressing children before parents. Again, order matters in scripture. This would be odd. And so here he's giving value, purpose to children. It's interesting, one of the things he's not doing is he's not saying, parents tell your children. Obey your parents. (laughs) He's speaking to children directly, which is cool to me. For me, when I'm hearing this, I recognize that all of a sudden, when this letter is being read aloud in Colossae, guess who's present among everybody else in the congregation? Children. And how cool would that have been? All of your life, you've just been a tag-along with your parents up until this point. And all of a sudden, you get this letter from the most famous Christian around right now, from Paul, and he speaks directly to me. He says, Child, children, child, you, me. Obey your parents. For this is pleasing to the Lord. I think that's pretty rad. I think that's neat. And I think sometimes we can miss out on this. But as we look at, at at this section of children obeying parents, we have, to, we have to look back just briefly at the section above, which is husband and wife relationship. Again, order matters. Here, Paul is highlighting it. He's starting with a husband and wife relationship. So for the household, if the household is going to thrive, ideally, then husband and wife are going to be in unison, working together in harmony for God's glory. Paul cares about the foundation of the marital relationship before he talks about engaging with your kids. What we want to extrapolate from that is to understand that if you are to lead your children well, one of the best things you can do is have a phenomenal marriage. In our day and age, people are far more often to put their child above their spouse. This must stop. It's unbiblical. We do not put our children above our spouses, we put our wives and our husbands above our spouses. And I'll say this is ten- has a tendency to be easier for husbands to do than for wives to do. And rightly so. Wives, as you have young kids, like there's something about you that's like, well, like I've got to make this kid a priority. He's going to die without my milk. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. True. All right. That is true. However, I still, I had this conversation with Keely. And I've had this conversation with a lot of young dads, I tell dads, don't be alarmed when you find yourself to be jealous of your first child in particular, of their relationship with your wife. Because there's a season in time where they feel more intimate, where they feel closer, they feel dependent, and you feel like you're just kind of like standing in the background, like legitimately waiting to change diapers and stuff like that. And it's hard. And there are brief seasons of time where your, your relationship might go through a season like that, but it needs to be a short season and we need to be willing to say, and, like, and again, I'm not saying Keely and I have done this perfectly, but I had to have a conversation with my wife and I said, babe, I just need you to, I, and if you don't know this about me, if you can't tell already, I'm a bit of a feeler, like I'm an emotional dude. Uh, and, uh, but I, had to, I came to Keely and I just said, I know this sounds really weird, but I need to be honest. I'm a little bit jealous of your relationship with Lucas. I feel like he's way more important to you than I am. And I know he depends on you to live, so (laughs) I get that. But I still need to know that I'm the most important man in your life. That may sound weird and weak and lame, but I want you guys to know that that was such an important conversation for Keely and I to have. She wasn't hurt, she wasn't broken, she wasn't offended. She's like, you're right. In this conversation regarding parents and children, Paul starts with the marriage. The marriage must be foundational if you're going to be able to raise your kids well, if you're going to be able to raise these kids. But parents, please, please, please do not make your kids the center of the universe. Their default sin nature is to claim that spot on their own. They don't need your help in doing that more. And to be honest, part of your job as a parent is actually to retrain them that they are not the center. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Okay. I love that the children are addressed directly here, and they're invited to start living a life today that pleases the Lord. I don't know if you guys have found yourself in spots when somebody, when you're inviting or asking one of your kids to do something, and maybe they say, why? And you say, because I said so. Um, uh, I have said that many of times, and uh, I just want you to know, I think that's actually not a good response. I don't think it's a biblical response. I think in Because you are their parents, you in theory have right to say that. But I love what it says here. Why don't we give them the why? Why should they be obedient? Because the why matters and it should matter in life. Why should we be obedient? Why should our kids be obedient? Because it pleases the Lord. How cool is that that you can invite your kid at whatever stage of life they're in to begin to please the Lord with their actions. They don't have to wait to become an adult to please the Lord. They get to begin to please the Lord right here and right now. And I don't know where you're all at today. I don't know what season of life you're in. I don't know how old you are or where you are in the spectrum. But if you are a child, and I'll just say, if you're living under mom and dad's roof, you need to hear this from Paul today. This is a command. Obey your parents. I don't think I'm alone. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm alone in this. But man, our genuine obey is a four-letter word. But I feel like it's become a bad four-letter word in our culture today. Almost as though obedience isn't a virtue. Almost as if obedience is a weakness. We live in a time and a place where authenticity has superseded the virtue of being obedient. So what do we do? We do what we feel like. We become obedient to our feelings. And when we become obedient to our feelings, we become slaves to our feelings and then often spiral. I genuinely believe that one of the largest issues within our current church culture. Is a lack or a uh, a missing component of like actually desiring obedience? I I don't I don't think. And this is a good thing for you. Like, do you want to be obedient? And I don't know what it is, and maybe we need to spend some time talking to the Lord about it, but you need to answer that question. Do you want to be obedient? Years ago, I think the answer, like, snap would be yes, for the Like, do we? Duh! Like, of course we want to be obedient to Jesus. But I think right now in the culture that we're in, if we ask the question, do you want to be obedient? It's kind of like, uh... I don't know. the reality is what chances do you have of culti- cultivating obedience in your child if you're not demonstrating what obedience looks like? John 1.12 says this. This is important as we are looking at this text. It says, to those who believe in him, to those who receive him, he gives the right to become Anybody know the next word? Children Children of God. So even though we're talking about a parent-child relationship, it's important for us to understand that this also includes me because who is my parent? God. Father. I am a child of God. And just as Paul is calling children of earthly parents to be obedient to their parents, he simultaneously is putting in us, as children of God, that same command. Sons and daughters of the king, be obedient to your father. But there's something weird in us. At least it's weird in me, and maybe it's not weird in you, but it's a little bit weird in me, and sorry for the feeling language. But there's parts of us that don't want to be obedient. Or am I crazy? Am I crazy? Okay. But yet, we will follow Paul, right? He says, Jesus Christ is Lord. Not anything was made through him or by him or without him. He holds it all together. He did, he took my debt and he took it to the cross and he nailed it there and there on the cross his blood was shed for me and I am completely forgiven. I am pure and I'm spotless and that's amazing. But when it comes to this area of obeying Jesus and the ins and outs and the small and the minuscule things of life, we have a tendency to treat them really like optional things. We have a tendency to make obedience to Jesus, like oh, if I want to. And I just, I, it, I don't know if that's an okay thing. Granted, I want us to be authentic, I want us to be honest with our heart, I want us to be honest, but are we willing to be a people. If we want to see obedience growing in our kids, we've got to be a people. And this isn't just parents. This is our whole church family. This isn't just parents. Are we going to be a people who actually cultivate a culture of obedience, where obedience ceases to be a vice and it begins to be the virtue that it once was? Are we willing to do that Parents, our job and church family, our job is to cultivate a heart for obedience in our kids to cultivate a default posture that they know better and we do this so that when it does come time for them to make their own choices that we don't have to fear, we don't have to be terrified of them going to school We don't have to fear and be terrified of them choosing a spouse. We don't have to fear or be terrified of a number of other things because they've been trained to be obedient despite what they might feel. And that might be one of the most countercultural things that exists within the Christian community today. And so much so that it barely exists. We are so not good at being obedient when we don't feel like it. But I truly believe that's something that the Lord wants to bring breakthrough in our communities in. But in that, we need tons of grace. You guys might hear me. If you know me, I'm like the furthest thing from a legalist. But we need a little legalism today. And that sounds really weird. And I'm not suggesting like real legalism. But man, I, just, I want us to take obedience seriously. I personally need to take obedience more seriously. So I have four kids, nine, six, four, and one. Life's easy. (laughs) Preparing to teach is a challenge for me. I'm not a teacher teacher, I'm a shepherd teacher, God's built me that way and so I I I feel a lot, I know I've expressed that before, but you guys got to understand getting to teach a message period is, is very heavy for me, but then to teach a message on children and parents and being like in the middle of a storm. Like, I just kind of want to like melt into a puddle a little bit. Because, guys, this is hard. I've screwed up a lot. And I've got a long way to go. (laughs) But I had to sit down with my kids this week. And I had to walk through this passage. I had to tell them, hey guys, I'm sorry for the times where I've demanded you be obedient and not let you know that the reason we're called to be obedient is because this pleases the Lord. So much of my desire to have my kids be obedient to me is because I'm just frustrated and I just want them to behave. <laughs> I just want to get through Costco without them th- melting down. <laughs> I just want to get through one dinner where one of my kids doesn't spill their water. Like I just, I, it, oh. Uh, it will be so great And you guys have amazing kids But you guys so often I've got to be careful I can read something like this Hey my kids need to be obedient And I stop caring about them being obedient Because it pleases the Lord And I just care about them doing what I say Because I'm in control And doggone it I'm the boss And this is my house And my rules And all of a sudden I turn into a tyrant To a legalist One who's not interested my child falling more passionately in love with Jesus, but way more interested in my child being quiet so that I can think for two seconds. (laughs) Now, do we all need grace? Yes. But we've got to recognize, we've got to recognize, even our default positions oftentimes as parents is not pointed towards like what Paul says in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything. the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do everything as though Jesus Christ is Lord. That includes our parenting. Far often than not, if I'm to be honest, I slip into the Lordship position. Especially when my kids are getting a little bit wryly. And I start getting offended because I am putting myself on the throne. And my kids aren't doing what I want in my kingdom. And not under the Lordship of Jesus. But you guys, we do not want our kids to become obedient robots. We want our sons and our daughters to be more in love with Jesus than we are, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit to a greater degree than we do. We want our kids to be more in tune with God and his kingdom than I am. That's what I want for my kids. I hope that's what you want for your children. We want to see them grow as mature followers of Jesus. And that will not happen on accident. So I talk to my kids about the obedient side. Then I also talk to them about the the provoking side. And I don't know if you guys have tried to have a theological conversation with a four-year-old who wants gum. Um, (laughs) But it's pretty hard to talk about provoking. You know what? I think my kids probably may be better at provoking me than I am at provoking them. But we—I had to walk through and ask them for forgiveness for times when I provoked them. I couldn't come up here on stage with you guys and walk through this without doing this with my own children. Whether or not you like it or not, you've provoked your kids. Just so you know, you do it on purpose and you do it on accident. We'll unpack that here in a second. But I had to walk through with my own kids. Because I was feeling so weighty. And this, some of this really is. Maybe you don't feel the weight. I, I know right now I'm in a season where I, just, I feel the weight of it. When it comes to parenting. When it comes to leading our kids. When it comes to taking care of this house. We must do it with intentionality. So he says fathers do not provoke your children. Lest they become discouraged. So Here. Paul is specifically talking to men, but it's not, uh, it doesn't prevent or it's not restrictive from women. Uh, Women are already engaged in the life and the development of kids like nobody's business during this time. He's not saying that that stops. He's including husbands. He's including fathers. And this would be totally out of context. This would be totally out of the norm in this first century context. For the fathers to be called out, just like the fathers being called to love their wives... In the section before, the way that would have been received if the men were listening, when they're saying, Father or husbands, love your wives, the the husbands would instantly think, uh, well, how am I going to get my wife to submit if I love her? How am I going to get my wife to submit if I'm not to be harsh to her? That's all they knew. How do you get your wife to submit? Be harsh. How do you get your children to behave? You provoke. You're harsh. You're angry. You're hard. And Paul's trying to break against that. Fathers, don't provoke your children. And this is fathers and mothers. And this day and age, we have oftentimes dual incomes, which is a great thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times that creates extra pressure when you're coming home after both of you have a long day's work. And you want nothing more than the house to be just spick and span. You want dinner on the table. You just want there just to be this beautiful peace that passes understanding all throughout the house. And then you walk in and then the first thing you hear is somebody yelling or you hear uh, the, the screaming or one of my kids is just over, the, over and over saying, ball, 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 like just stop. I get it. <laughs> One-year-olds are great. I love it when they're learning to talk. <laughs> but you guys, we, we forget that we have a job to do together. Again, so oftentimes we think one of the primary ways that we show love and care for our kids and for our wives is is through hard work and provision and, and through providing a roof over. And that's absolutely foundational. It's super important. But I guarantee you, if you are a jerk to your kids, and I guarantee you that if you do not engage in loving them on their level, they could care less what type of shoes they have, what type of gaming system they have. Those things do not matter to your kids. What matters to them is your relationship with them. We've bought into this lie that these material things will make up for my lack of being a good parent. That's baloney. Your kids need you. They need you. And guess what? They don't need you for 17 hours. Sometimes they just need you for 20 minutes, for five minutes. All of us are in different places with with different hardships in life. There's some of you that are working two jobs just to make it, and God bless you. God bless you. And when the ideal is lacking, grace abounds. But we need to be a people with intentionality who engage our kids on purpose. So fathers and mothers, don't provoke your children. This Greek word provoke is erithizo, this means to embitter, to exacerbate, to make resentful, or to make someone bitter, to stir them up. I, don't, I, I love my dad to death. I, like I said before, he, him and I have a good relationship. He loves Jesus. My dad doesn't even have to really uh, say anything to me at some points in time to be able to stir me up. Any of you guys have a relationship like that with your parents? They can just kind of like look at you or give you like a hug that's like, okay, something's up. Like, you guys, I don't know if you guys have that with your folks, but they can just like wink at you or like sometimes they can come up to you and it seems like they're being really generous and they're like, hey, is everything okay? And like, I don't want to I'm out of here. You know, there's like, for some reason with these close relationships in our lives, we have the ability to provoke one another so easily. And part of that is we need to actually get thicker skinned a little bit. Which part of this goes into actually training and ingraining a culture of obedience. When, 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 we, when we challenge our feelings to do what God's called us to do. I've had to teach my son who's nine. And it's sad that we have to engage with these things. Two years ago about we started talking about pornography. We walked through this amazing book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. I highly recommend it. But in there it talks about the thinking brain and the feeling brain. And it talks about how when the feeling brain is in control, it's like, uh, it's like a blind person driving. You're going somewhere, but there's no control of where it's headed. And that the feeling brain has to, it has to help, but it always sits in subject to the thinking brain. And that's true when we're disciplining, when we're being um, obedient, all of these things. We, we have to not let our feelings control us. But well, when it comes to this idea of provoking, there's many ways in which we do this. Some of the ways in which we do this, and again, this isn't just in a child relationship. This is a peer-to-peer relationship. This thing is applied in every relationship that we have. You guys have that nitpicking friend that has, is able to criticize and pull out something negative in everything? Oh, I can be that person, so I can do it like that, but man, that provokes. That stirs to anger. That person that's harsh, that leads to resentment, is provoking. Embarrassing your child in front of other people is provoking, even if you're right. Parents, please, sometimes we're so bent on being right, and we want judgment now, right in this moment. You guys take a breath. The location and time in which you correct and discipline your child matters. You think all that matters is being right. When that's all that matters to you, you're wrong. It's not about being right. It's about pointing our kids to Jesus. You've got to pick your fights. For heaven's sake, please don't embarrass your kid. Be in, you be the one. Go ahead, volunteer yourself to be embarrassed, but don't you embarrass your kid. Be to your child what God is to you. Your protector. You're one who says whatever comes out of you, this is going to be okay. We must show our kids what God is like. So we don't embarrass our kids. What Paul is identifying here is that as parents, we are not to negatively motivate our children. All of us have done this at some way, at some point in our lives. If you're a parent or it's been done to you, you've been negatively motivated. We are not gonna keep doing that. We just get to say no. We get to change that pattern that's happened in our lives for generations. We will not keep doing that. We are going to parent differently. We're going to love differently. And we are not going to provoke our children We do have to understand something here, though. This isn't saying don't make your kids angry. How many, if you have kids, you are a kid, how many of you guys like discipline? How many of you like correction? Yeah, right? I'm still waiting for that moment when Lucas comes in and he's like, Holy Spirit, thank you. Just please use my dad right now to help discipline me for your glory. For I know you discipline those you love. I'm here to receive it whatever you have for me today Lord I want that moment and we're chuckling but the reality is actually we can train our kids to get there not in a forceful way not to be like oh my dad is like my whatever no but in a sense where we can actually train our kids that God is working through discipline but we can't read something like this don't provoke your children and be like that means I can't make my kid angry that's baloney If your kids are never angry with you, you aren't parenting. Seriously, one of the greatest temptations as a parent is to give your child what they want. And the role of a parent is never to give their child what they want, but it's to lead them to what they need. We must not let our parent or let our children run the house. This is why husband and wife, you have to be solid. Wives to be submitting to your husbands voluntarily and and husbands to be loving your wives as Christ loved the church. The foundation of your relationship must be solid. And as you do, you will begin to show your kids what it looks like to be obedient even when it costs you greatly. (coughs) But this verse does not mean don't make your kids angry. John Newton, the great preacher and hymn writer who experienced a wretched life before turning to Christ, said, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. Parents, fathers, wives, moms, disciplines to be given, but so is Encouragement. Obedience is to be nurtured by love and praise, and we must never cause our children to lose heart. That's what the second half of this passage is saying. Do not provoke your children to cause them to lose heart, to be discouraged, to be broken-spirited. That's what that word, "discouraged" means, is that you actually have the potential as a parent, if you provoke over and over and over again, to break your child's spirit. And I guarantee there are many in this room who feel like their spirit had been broken by their parents in some way, shape, or form. And first I want to say, if that's you, I'm sorry. God's got actually amazing healing for you. There's so much available. But we get to learn from that. And we get to stop And to not let that pattern continue on for the next generation. We get to change. Your children will become who you tell them you see them becoming. It's what Phil and Diane Comer says. Your children will become who you tell them you see them becoming. Your words, as parents, as peers, as members of the household of God, your words matter. James is right. The tongue is like a double-edged sword. It is, has the ability to cut and to break down, but it also has the ability to build up. Watch the words that come out of your mouth. And I am not talking about cussing. I'm talking about the words you choose. And you either speak life or you speak death over your children. This is for moms and dads in particular but I've seen this throughout the years in particular with dads who have an ability to cut down their children with very simple and really mean words. If that's you, I just challenge you in the name of Jesus, repent to your children and to your wife and to your king for he has not made you to cut down others with your mouth and with your words but he's made you to encourage and build them up With our words, we can teach our kids their value, their worth, and their dignity. We will either build them up or we will tear them down. And as followers of Jesus who declare that Jesus is king, I just hope we can stand confidently and say, we will not be sons and daughters who tear one another down, who tear our children down by using inappropriate language that tears apart at who they've been called to be. I want to give you a few words to root out of your vocabulary as you train your kids. These are also good not just for kids, this is beyond that. If you've done any premarital with us, you've heard this before. First things, as you're engaging with your kids, disciplining your kids, root these words out. Always, every, and never. Always, every, never. Do not use these words with your kids, ever. Okay. Any variation of those, get rid of them. Anytime those words are used, it generally leads to us provoking our kids. You never take the trash out on time. Oh, I mean, you're right, I didn't take it out this time, but last time I took it out on time. And, but you just said, never And all, these words are huge they're massive and they have a way of chipping against our souls again marital relationship friend relationship relationship with your kids all get rid of those, those words get rid of them also you must you must you must get rid of and this is probably pretty simple you might say you never do this but it happens on occasion I'm sure but negative you are statements okay like I said before I love my dad he loves Jesus I can still remember and again maybe this is because I'm a bit of a feeler I can still remember a time when he, he said, you are stupid. And I had done something that was really dumb, it was totally stupid. But he didn't say that thing that I did was stupid, he said, I am stupid. You guys, we must never forget our identity in Jesus. We must never forget the Imago Dei. I can do plenty of stupid things, but I am not stupid. I am a redeemed son of the King. I have been made in His image and each day He is shaping me more and more and more to be like Jesus. I am not stupid. Am I the sharpest tool in the shed? Eh, Probably not. But you guys, these negative you are statements must be rooted out. This is peer to peer. again with our kids all of that but they must be rooted out and we must speak the positive you are statements you are a son a daughter of the king you are his beloved and he sings over you your sins have been wiped clean It's so interesting we live in a time and a space where we're still we think that the best way to motivate people into obedience is fear. But give me an example somewhere where Jesus motivates any of his followers of Jesus by fear. I can't think of one. That's because there is a greater thing, a greater motivator than that of fear. And that's perfect love. And perfect love casts out all fear. And if we're looking to motivate our children into following and being obedient to Jesus, the best way to do it is not through fear or intimidation or scare tactics. It's through getting on your face and falling deeper in love with Jesus Christ. It's the love of God that leads us to repentance. We do not want to lead our kids to discouragement. We don't want to lead them to a space where they are broken in spirit. Ultimately, our goal as parents should not be that our kid would play D1 ball or even though I would love that, I really would. (laughs) Or to have our kids behave in Costco, which that would be nice also. But our goal is to, our goal is to cultivate vibrant Christ followers who would follow his call in their life and be obedient to him no matter what the cost. Is that your desire for your kid? You should ask your kids what you feel like your desire is for them. It's very telling. It's one thing to tell them what your desire is. It's another thing to genuinely listen. Hey, what do you think I want for you? What do you think my greatest heart's desire is for you? If you have parents especially, if you have kids especially between the ages of like seven and 15 or maybe older, I really encourage you to ask that question and be open to what they have to say. I've been convicted this week that so much of my parenting, I do not with, it's not that I do it anti the Lordship of Jesus, but I don't do it intentionally thinking about Jesus Christ being Lord of my parenting. In this verse in 317, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That has challenged me so much in the way I've approached my parenting, even this week. That, whoa, God is calling me to live in the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord, even in the most basic, private relationships that I have. And it's challenged me this week. I had to confess to my kids just the other night that often I am not motivated by the Lordship of Jesus in my parenting. I'm just motivated by getting some me time after they go to sleep. And I need to repent of that. Guys, raising kids is work. You don't have to lie about it. It's hard work. We need Holy Spirit to do this well. But you must understand that before your kids ever learn how to read the Bible, before they ever go to a Sunday school, that they remember they will already be developing their first theologies about God by the way you treat your spouse and by the way they treat, you treat them. They will know what God is like by how you care for your spouse and by how you care for them. God is somebody to be afraid of and do what He says or else He'll hurt me. Or God is somebody that knows me and loves me and my bad and will never leave me, will never be scared of me, will never go away from me. You get to teach. You are your kids' first theology teachers whether or not you like it or not. And I hope that starts to become a good thing, not a bad thing. And church family, you guys, you get to change that. Again, whether that was a good thing or a bad thing for you, you get to change that now. Worship team, come on up. This work of parenting is, is challenging. We need help to do it. Be intentional. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a couple of like practical things for you. If you work and you're coming home from work to uh, maybe a crazy house, I encourage you, find a space. This is just a practical thing. Our minds oftentimes need places a uh, moment to disconnect, to re-engage with what's coming up next. And so I just talk to your spouse about it first, but I invite you to take five minutes, park somewhere in front of somebody else's house. Take five minutes, be still, be quiet before the Lord, and just take a breath. Just take a breath. And then ask God to prepare you for this really important work that's coming, and that's you engaging with your kids. Okay? So that's husbands, wives, whoever that might be. I also want to challenge dads, uh, climb into bed with your kids. I mean, it should not be a shock to you, but again, you're to show your kids what God is like, and they should not just know you as the heavy, they need to know you as the one who cares about them, who wants to laugh with them, who wants to know about the weird crush that their kid has, whatever it might be. Spend some time with your kid in appropriate ways for sure, but engage in bedtime for sure. And the last thing, I want to just stir in you guys, and maybe this is me because I've got four kids and sometimes feel like I'm drowning. Uh, I feel like God's calling us to grow in contentment. I cannot do everything I want to do. I can't lead the church that I want to lead to the fullest degree that I want to do it. I don't get to read as many books as I want to read. I don't get to go on vacation. I don't get to get the house out. I don't get to do a lot of what I really want to do. And if I'm not careful, I can be launched into discontentment where I'm just frustrated and I'm bitter and I'm angry. And man, I just got to tell you guys, this week specifically, God has been beating on my heart. Kevin, this is a good season. Do not lose opportunities to love and discipline and engage with your kids and your wife because you're worried about tomorrow. Love your kid now. Press in now. This moment is a beautiful moment. And be thankful for me. Thankful for what I'm doing in this moment. So maybe that's you, maybe it's not. But as we look to engage in loving our spouses, to helping raise our child children in wonderful ways, let us be content in the season that God has us and not constantly thinking, oh, I wish I were somewhere else. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for this time. Thanks for who you are and what you're doing. Lord, so many of us need your help. And whatever we're doing, in word or deed, do everything heartily unto you. And and Lord, we just confess there are many areas in our life where we do not live as though you truly are king. And so we do just ask that that would increase in us, degree by degree, Lord, that that would become more of a reality. Father, I ask that you would expose our hearts to the areas where where we do not want obedience, where we don't desire to be obedient, where we just want to do our own thing. God, I ask that we would be graciously confronted by you today. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, we ask that if we are not taking obedience like you desire seriously, Lord, would we be convicted of that today? And Holy Spirit, would you help? We want to grow in being a people who declare with our mouth what we believe. And and with our feet, we demonstrate it and we validate that over and over and over again. And so now as we respond, we want to respond to you, the living King, who took away our sins, who has made us well, who has wiped us clean, who gives us new start after new start after new start. And now we want to respond to you as we sing and as we take communion and as we receive prayer and offering. Would you receive all glory and all honor? In Jesus' name, amen.